1: Welcome back to Now with Dave Brown. Filling in for Dave today, my name is Andy Frank. Well, every now and then on the show, we talk about spaces that need to be accessible for visitors. But what about places that are supposed to be fully accessible, like healthcare facilities? How accessible are they? And is that enough? Joining me now to explore this further is Thea Curdy, the president of Design Able Environments. Thea, it's a real pleasure to talk to you.
0: Good morning, Andy. I'm excited to be kicking off my third year of the show with you.
1: Is it already three years?
0: It is. (laughs) Woo! Time flies and
1: having fun, <laughs> especially during the pandemic, eh? Mm, good yeah, times. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> well, anyway, we're we're very uh, we're very happy to have you and honored to have you on our show on a regular basis. Uh, so, Thea, let's talk about uh, let's talk about how most people automatically think uh, of hospitals when healthcare is is mentioned. Of course, uh, but what are some other examples of other healthcare facilities that we're maybe going to talk about here?
0: Well, as always, I always start by admitting that real access to healthcare is a lot more than the accessibility of the built environment. However, the built environment either supports inclusion, dignity, respect, safety, and independence, or it sabotages these and any good practices that stakeholders may be trying to implement. Other facilities besides hospitals, from a holistic perspective, of course, include doctor's offices, but also walk-in clinics, labs, your dentist, wellness centers, pharmacies, outpatient rehabilitation centers, and even of course, things like long-term care. Of all the places that we use uh, that everybody expects to be accessible, it's a hospital and healthcare facilities they expect the most from, and sadly, uh, often these are the hardest to make accessible. There's a far greater need because it's not just people with long-term disabilities who need barrier-free access, but really every patient either shows up due to an accident or illness with a short-term or temporary disability, or they get a short-term or temporary disability during the course of their treatment. And then of course, since COVID, there are many people who develop disabilities like breathing difficulties, brain injuries, and other long COVID issues. So of course, facilities need to support not only the patients, but families, visitors, and staff, all who could have disabilities at some point in their lives and will have some disabilities at some point. So inclusive design is just smarter investments.
1: So let's take a province like Ontario, for example. Um, What does the building code and other accessibility legislation on the books currently require for spaces like these?
0: It's important to remember that the latest requirements in legislation are only applied to new buildings or when major renovations happen to buildings. So if any of the things we're talking about today are not evident in the healthcare facilities that you visit, it's because they were built using older codes. Um, What's missing too from facilities um, uh, could be because the place that you're visiting is in a rented space. So of course the landlord owns the building and then depending when they built the building, uh, so things like parking, elevators, washrooms may not be as accessible as you might expect either. So, of course, anybody renting has to be looking for an accessible building to start with, or they can end up with a really expensive mess or limiting their clients. So, in addition to the building code in Ontario, um, there's the AODA, and I'll Quickly mention the national standard as well. Um, but uh, while Canada has the national uh, building code, Ontario has the Ontario building code known as the OBC. It is slightly more progressive than the national standard and it was updated uh, last on January 1st, which we talked about actually with Dave on January 31st show. And uh, there's a link to that show and a transcript on our website, uh, and I'll post that on our social media after the show. Um, The healthcare facilities uh, are often like office buildings. So there's basic things that you would expect in any kind of building, like the drop off area, the accessible entrance, elevators, stairs, ramps, and washrooms. But healthcare facilities are interestingly listed specifically under something called care and treatment or detention occupancy, which I think says a lot. (laughs) <laughs> uh, they have some specific unique requirements like corridors that have to be wider, about uh, 1,200 millimeters or four feet wider, doors that have to be wider by about um, 190 millimeters or eight inches, and handrails have to be on both sides of stairs and, and can be continuous, whereas normally they only have to be on one side. But that's it, that's all that it says. So, it, luckily, Ontario, of the five provinces that have additional accessibility standards, Ontario's Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, also known as the AODA, is the oldest. Um, and the deadline for making the province uh, accessible is 2025, which is now uh, just over 800 days away. Unfortunately, Ontario has only enacted the design of public spaces to tell people specifically what to do and I'll give you a link to a really good illustrated guide to that for those who may be interested. Uh, But it's not about healthcare specifically Um, and this 2013 legislation is quite a bit out of date. Unfortunately for healthcare, it really only has a few things. For the interior, three things for accessibility. Service counters, fixed queuing guides and waiting areas with fixed seating. There are not a lot of fixed queuing guides or fixed seatings in a lot of these places. Mm For exterior, you might have recreational trails. You could have outdoor eating areas, outdoor play spaces, exterior paths and sidewalks, and of course, accessible parking. So the AODA does cover those, uh, but again, not exceptionally uh, comprehensive way and maybe not specific to the unique needs of healthcare. Uh, The AODA standards, uh, as we talked about on July 19th show on 2021 uh, with Dave about a new proposed healthcare standard. Uh, The final version is available and I'll provide a link also on social media after the show. But nationally, we do have a Canadian Standards Association standard called Z8000 Canadian Healthcare Standard. It was last revised in 2018, and you'd think about healthcare, it would have a lot, but unfortunately, it still only has two pages related to accessibility, and most of that's about um, uh, patients who are uh, very overweight, over 350 pounds, so, uh, or larger-sized uh, patients. So it does not a lot of help, unfortunately.
1: So uh... A lot of what you're talking about is mobility, but how can healthcare space design support more than just, for example, wheelchair users?
0: Right. It's essential that designing these spaces tries to understand the many and varied needs of those using, visiting, and working in these spaces, especially as the stress of being there can make spaces even more challenging than others. For people with uh, particular illnesses or disabilities, whether physical, sensory, or cognitive, these issues are too often compounded as they attempt to move in and around inaccessible buildings in order to access necessary services and the care that they need. So like most months, September has Awareness Month for several disabilities, including Alzheimer's, arthritis, and deaf design. So while there's a great deal to do for all types of different disabilities, especially for those with environmental sensitivities, I'm going to focus on those today. The Canadian Arthritis Association says there are over 6 million Canadians with arthritis. For these people, design considerations like lever handles, but not round knobs... Uh, Control buttons that are larger and operable with a closed fist, which is also good for people who've had a stroke or amputees Mm -hmm. with or who are limb difference. And then things like soap and hand sanitizer dispensers that are placed beside the counter, not behind the counter on the back wall which of course uh, is a limited reach range issue. For people, the Canadian Hearing Society said there's approximately 360,000 profoundly deaf and deafened Canadians but 3.2 million hard of hearing Canadians. And for this population assistive listening for all service desks and all consultation exam and meeting rooms is really important. Um, Areas where there are announcements uh, for like inside elevators and waiting rooms can also have assistive listening. And then of course, even scrolling voice-to-text display and waiting room TVs and emergency call in elevators for people who are deaf and mute who might be looking for help. And then for those who, are, who have um, Alzheimer's, the dementia, which is a part of the dementia category, Canada uh, Alzheimer's Society says there's over 500,000 people currently living with some form of dementia, but over 76,000 are diagnosed uh, every year, adding to the need. And for these people, we see intuitive routes from place to page, place which can include color, shape, and wayfinding, signage that uses language or department names that are easy to understand, not complicated or technical, and then controlling acoustics uh, for how loud spaces are, which helps many people feel calmer and to navigate easier. There are lots of additional resources, including something called Code Plus the DeafBlind standard from DeafBlind Ontario, and then a really cool dementia-friendly hospital's design guideline from Ireland's National Dementia Office.
1: So based on what you said today, accessibility in healthcare seems to be struggling a little bit and uh, universal design might not be getting a lot of attention. Is there anything else you'd recommend to fix this other than what you just mentioned uh, and that new and other renovated facilities would be a bit more inclusive and perhaps not create the barriers that we face?
0: Okay, this is a fun part of the show for me.
1: (laughs) Uh, Here's your soapbox. Here you go. Stand on this.
0: Uh, So this is the fall of 22 to 2, and that marks Designable Environment's 35th anniversary in business. So you can imagine how many healthcare design projects we've tried to help with. In my 20 post years, I've worked on over 30 hospitals, trying to meet what the Human Rights Code's asking for, and not just the minimums in the code. And typically, we're looking at an additional 60 to 70 pages of new requirements that really try to uh, create an actually accessible, usable space for all kinds of disabilities, and basically design for everybody. Um, Most of these are of course really easy to do. They're not rocket science and maybe they're even obvious and make a lot of sense. So here's ten quick things. One, put in night lights so when you're in a room you're not familiar with you can get up to the go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and find your way without tripping or hurting yourself. Two, make sure the windowsills are lower so that from a seated position you get the same view. Three, use motorized blinds so you don't have to get up and get to the window and use the controls. Four, make sure that there are handrails at two heights for both tall and shorter people. Um, Make sure that there's maybe nature pictures on the ceiling above the bed. You're sitting there looking up at this blank uh, wall. Why not make it more interesting? Use digital clocks instead of those with the arms so that are easier to read. and Then you can have really large numbers. Uh, make sure that your ramps, you have two ramps for two-way uh, travel, not just one way, even into a pool. Uh, make sure that the accessible play areas inside and out for, are accessible for kids and caretakers with disabilities. And then, of course, making sure that the breastfeeding rooms and the prayer rooms that you might have are also accessible. And those are just a few of the, the hundreds of things <laughs> that I have on my list.
1: Theo, <laughs> um, so, yeah, the world needs more people like you. Um Are there any other events, uh, any events of any kind, actually, that you want to highlight? We have about 30 seconds left.
0: Oh, sure. Okay, so I found three that you're just going to love. Tomorrow, on Tuesday the 13th in Calgary, at the Central Library, they have an event called How Can Design Be Used for Social Good? And I'll have a link to that on social media after. On Wednesday, September the 21st, there's a Planning a Campus for Everyone Confronting the Affordability Crisis by UBC Campus and Community Planning. Um, you'll have to register for that. So, again, I'll provide information on that as well. And then Thursday, October 6th, the International Association of Accessibility Professionals, or IAAP, has a great webinar called Accessibility Public Right-of-Way and Active Transportation given by my Canadian accessibility specialist, fellow specialist, (laughs) Marnie Peters. And I'll provide a link for that uh, at T-K-U-R-D-I on Twitter or on LinkedIn and Facebook.
1: Always a pleasure, Thea Curdy. Congratulations on your third year with, uh, with with us. That is obviously your most remarkable accomplishment of all.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Andy. It's a pleasure talking to you guys.
1: Thea Curdy is with uh, Designable Environments, the president of Designable Environments. They invent, they invent awards for people like Thea Curdy for the type of uh, activism work that she does. Um, so uh, be sure to follow Thea on Twitter at T Curdy, K U R D I. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca.